0: Good morning, everybody. Pastor Paul here. I have to admit, I played a little game of Pastoral Groundhog Day. I stuck my toe outside. I looked at my watch to find the temperature. When it began with a two, I thought, hmm, a good day to be back inside. So that's where we are as we continue our walk through the book of Exodus and as a reminder, this is the, the, pivotal, the pivotal time thus far in Exodus in terms of the confrontation of Moses with Pharaoh. And as a reminder from last time, we oftentimes think about the 10 plagues, but in actuality, there were 11 signs. And last week, we, or yesterday, we looked at the first of those signs, which was kind of a preliminary thing a shot across the bow so to speak where the staff of moses ate up the staff or the snakes of pharaoh and but but that's kind of the preliminary the full-scale war between yahweh and the gods of egypt is about to commence and so let me read about this this the first plague which is actually the second sign the water turned to blood let me read the whole passage we'll pray I think we're going to find there are just a whole host of applicable things um, for us in this passage that, that, that really come to bear as we learn about God. So look at verse 14, chapter 7 in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water stand on the bank of the nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent and you shall say to him the lord the god of the hebrews sent me to you saying let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness but so far you have not obeyed thus says the lord by this you shall know that i am the lord behold with the staff that is in my hand i will strike the water that is in the nile and and, it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will, Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Stay, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone moses and aaron did as the lord commanded in the sight of pharaoh and in the sight of his servants he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the nile and all the water in the nile turned into blood and the fish in the nile died and the nile stank so that the egyptians could not drink water from the nile there was blood throughout all the land of egypt but the magicians of egypt did the same by their secret arts so pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the lord had said Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Lyle for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Let's pray. Father, this is much more than a Sunday school story about the ten plagues. Lord, this is a revelation of who you are and so lord that's what we need most today is a clear vision a clarity of sight into your essence your being so father direct our thoughts godward towards you today and use this passage of scripture to help us do that in jesus name amen the first plague water turn to blood now We need to get a little bit of the backdrop here to understand the impact or the statement that is being made to pharaoh and the people of egypt by god yahweh um, through this first plague now remember that egypt was a polytheistic culture particularly as it related to creation they worship the sun they um they, they worshiped various gods, they were polytheists. But in actuality, one of the central gods they worshiped was actually the god, the god of the Nile. In fact, they believed that the Nile itself was a god. And as such, they, they centered their life around the Nile. Um, it was what provided for them physically, materially, with their crops, with their water, um, their irrigation it was it was uh, it was where life itself teemed. I mean whole civilizations were built up around the Nile the Nile was seen literally as the lifeblood of Egypt it's 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 life was a sign of fertility it was a sign of abundance it was um, it cannot be overstated that in a lot of ways the Nile was the temple of, of Egypt and so how appropriate that God chooses the Nile to be the, the locale, the site of the very first plague, right? And, and so here we see um, that instead of being a source of life, the Nile becomes a source of, of death um, in, in the sense that it's no longer producing life it's producing blood so people can't drink the water uh, from the Nile. The, um, the cattle can't drink the water from the Nile. People can't bathe in it. People can't worship at it. People can't do any um, sorts of cultic rites around it. It's, they, they, in fact they're, they're, they're so desperate for something to drink, they're digging, trying to dig new wells alongside of the Nile to provide water. And so, so what, what is the overarching message here? Well This really anticipates, doesn't it, the law that God is going to give the Ten Commandments to Israel later in Exodus. And what is the first commandment, okay? Um, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship any other gods before me. And this is kind of like the quintessential opening salvo of the war, okay? And this is, in fact, a great showdown between the God of the universe, Yahweh, and the itty-bitty, tiny, powerless gods of the Egyptians, okay? And what better way to, to communicate the centrality of God and his power and his might and his superiority than to attack the very the nervous system of, of Egyptian religion? And so we think about that first commandment, you shall know the gods before me, and, and this plague corresponds to that. Um, God is aiming his, this plague at the root, okay? At the root of this idol, this ginormous idol. And remember, an idol um, for pagans was oftentimes, yes, an object, okay, or it was a, um, a, some piece of nature, something that was deemed to have power over everything else and it's just as if god is just moving to the front elbowing his way to the front and saying i'm going to dispense of your idolatry in one fell swoop i'm here to make a clarion call that that you shall not only have no other gods before me but there are in fact no other gods period and and what a great again lesson for us um, something to take from this is that we typically think about idols okay in terms of tiki statues and um shrines and and those are certainly that those qualify but obviously our idols as 21st century americans are much more sophisticated they are their 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 power their money their sexuality their um our professions our um, our standing in society, our identities um, they i mean, our families can be idols. I mean, they're just a whole host of idols, right? Um, I mean, I think it was it was Calvin that said, you know, our our hearts are idol factories. Okay, they're just they're 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 made to worship God. Our hearts, they're, they're our hearts are created with a God-sized vacuum and we will cram anything in there for ultimate meaning and significance that we can find. Um, um, And we do this because even though our hearts yearn for God, we also know that to fill that with God makes a claim on our life. That means that uh, we belong to him, that we come under him in his his sovereign care and rule and authority. But instead of finding our hearts, finding ultimate satisfaction in that, we want to find it in, in everything else that allows us to find meaning on our terms. And as we know, with all idols, they terribly disappoint, they fail, right? Um, you know, we may idolize our bodies, but ultimately they're going to fail us. We may idolize our families, but they're ultimately gonna disappoint us. We may idolize our um, our jobs, but we're not gonna have them forever. I mean, we can go on and on and on, right? And so, so here, um, God is striking the first blow, now we don't need to be distracted by this idea that it says. If you look down, uh, verse twenty-two, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. This was this was this would have been the equivalent of Aaron throws his staff down; it becomes a snake. They throw their staff down; it becomes snakes, right? And and but okay, so because you know Satan can deceive by by dark arts and dark dark work and imitate. Um, as an angel, imitate an angel of light when he's really on a mission of death. Well, but ultimately Aaron's rod, God, proved more powerful, ate the, the other serpents, okay, of, of the Pharaoh. Well, in the same way, this would have obviously been like, maybe they created blood on a small scale, but clearly nothing, okay, nothing to, to warrant, nothing to measure up to the sign that has been done by god with the nile and and of course it says pharaoh's heart remained hardened again it's a reminder for us that um, there's always two steps to conversion right there's always two steps to salvation one is god has to crush our idols god has to, to 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 show us that there is no hope in life and death except in jesus So god has to first crush our idols but then he has to regenerate our hearts right to to give us the affections to want the beautiful glory and majesty of christ and so so those are all those always go hand in hand right and at this point in time all god has done is crush the idol of pharaoh but his heart remains hardened okay there hasn't been a true change of heart he is clinging to this idea of power now what we're going to see In successive plagues is that they keep getting worse and worse and worse. So as bad as it would be to have your drinking water turned to blood, this only happened for seven full days, it tells us in verse uh, 25, right? Um, And in fact, it doesn't appear that there was any loss of life at this point. But as we go down the the scale so to speak in the plagues and the gnats and the locusts and finally ultimately the the slaughter of the firstborn um um these plagues become more and more personal they become more and more impactful okay to um the the psyche and the idolatry of the egyptians and and we're going to finally get to a place where it takes the loss of actual life of the firstborn for for this message to penetrate through that god truly is the sovereign and he truly is all powerful and so we just have to remind remind ourselves Oaks that god every day is by his grace frustrates our idols what we see as obstacles what we see as um, stumbling blocks or disappointments or God not, not, not listening to us, God not giving us what we want, God not giving us our dreams, oftentimes is a means of God's very grace where he does not let our hearts become too wedded right to security and assurances in this life lest we think those things are ultimate. But God tempers us, measures us, brings disappointment into our life, brings failure into our life, crushes our idols so that we would see our need for Jesus. And that is a lesson from Exodus chapter seven. Okay, tomorrow, Friday, the second plague, the frogs. Blood is bad, as we're gonna see. Frogs, just a little bit worse. Let's pray. Lord, um, teach us that all of our idols are like the blood of the Nile, that they are pointless, fruitless, and non-life-giving and help us not to question your goodness when you when you break our idols crush them cause them to disappoint let us see that lord as an act of your mercy and grace to draw us to you and in jesus name we pray amen all right everybody